Hello. If you are listening, then you're here on purpose. This is a podcast about fighting the system and staying rebellious while being incarcerated. The show takes the form of a recorded phone call between myself in Chicago and my twin brother locked up in a detention center in Alexandria, Virginia. I am Jason. And I am Jeremy. And we are... Twin Twin Trouble! Trouble. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Power of the people. Jeremy, how you doing, man? It's all right. All things considered, got a good show for you today. It's our third episode. This one's called One Funky Onion. Yeah, one funky ass onion. Uh, we're recording this episode live from solitary confinement. I mean, two hours a day. Been a worse holes. Two hours is not bad. But uh, we got a good show. What are we talking about, Jay? We'll get to the bottom of this funky ass onion that put you in solitary. But a lot of shit has happened. This week's on the noise segment, we're going to be talking about the recent police violence on the Chicago Transit Authority and the people's response and demands for no cops on the platform and the call for free transit. We're also going to be talking shit on the high-profile pardons Trump issue. Julian Assange also had his first week of sedition hearings. We're going to get to that as well. Right. And uh, there's also been some movement on a grand jury resistance case. Uh, might be some action soon. But before we get to that, let me tell you, let me tell you about this raggedy-ass jail. This raggedy-ass jail, the Alexandria Detention Center. Man, it never ends. It never ends. You're in solitary confinement. You mean what the fuck? Well, so yeah, they uh, you know they do shakedowns all the time, and uh, they uh, found an onion in my cell. Okay, onion. I love, I love onion. I love onion. So, uh, I mean, as you know, I've been working in the kitchen, kitchen work program uh, as head cook. You know, it's a lot of work. You know, previously I've been I haven't worked in the BOP for years. You know, ever since uh, IWW with the with the whole prison strike stuff going on, I just decided, hell with that shit, I ain't working no more, right? But since I got here, right, starving to death, I saw the work program, I just thought I'd give it a try, so I started working out here. And uh, so I got a lot to say about this this, uh, this jail's food system, right? You know, uh, as you know, uh, Aramark is the uh, contracted uh, food provider, right? Aramark, mm-hmm. you know, the multi, multi-billion dollar fucking food conglomerate that they do everything, don't they? Yeah, sure, they basically uh, are the prison... Food profiteers. Yeah, not just prisons, of course. Uh, hospitals, uh, schools. Um, you know, they're everywhere. So, anyways, uh, working this this program, right? You know, I do it because it gives us a chance to eat good, to eat a little bit better than the regular population trays. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, most of the, the food here is, uh, you know, it's heavy on carbs. It's just a lot of bread. You know, a lot of whites and stuff. Kind um, mm-hmm. of hard to stay healthy, and the commissary here is so fucking expensive. That you know, I decided you know I'll try to kitchen out and work there for a little bit, and I wasn't even good. But honestly, like I didn't think the work was worth it. I've been doing it for four months, and it's just a lot of work, man. I mean, I was head cook. They made me head cook, and uh, normally the cook had a partner and assistant. You know, I was basically working by myself the whole time. And and man, I got so much to say about this janky kitchen over here. I mean, and I, I haven't really been talking about in the past couple months of working here because I kind of like wanted to see where it goes, and I figured uh, that one day I'd get called for something. You know, and it kicked me out anyway. Then I'd have a lot of leverage. You know what I mean? Like I'd have a lot, lot to, uh, you know, blow up the whole situation, right? And now that they fired me and put me in solitary confinement, you know, I got nothing, nothing to hold back for. You know, reason to hold back, right? Yeah. Tell us about all the BS they're pulling in the kitchen. So, before we get to the onion story, let me tell you about this jail, right? First thing is it's infested with roaches. I mean, the kitchen, whole kitchen is completely infested with roaches. Damn. Like everywhere, like everywhere, like you know. And, you know, we've lived with roaches, right? I mean, we're talking about, like, bold roaches that don't even wait to, like, uh, until the lights go off 
several roaches, right? Man. There's so much equipment failure, so it's kind of an old jail. There's a lot of equipment that basically just doesn't work. When I first got here, there was like a steamer that was kind of cool. It made things really easy. Anyway, that just broke. Now it's basically just like a hot, wet roach motel that sits there, right? They got two pots, right? They got a tilt, tilt pan and a uh, a big kettle, right? Mm-hmm. And that's it. But basically the entire time I've been working there, only one of them has been working. So I basically had to cook everything in one 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 thing one thing after another, which, uh, you know, really difficult when you're cooking for like three, 400 people. Yeah, time-consuming yeah. one fucking pot for three, 400 people. Yeah. I got to cook the rice first, drain it, clean it, and then cook the cook the broccoli, drain it, clean it, and so forth, right? And uh, Airmark being what it is, right? You know, I like cooking. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to work. You know, there's only so much you could do is jail food, right? It's, you know, county jails are not known for their quality of food. And apparently they have, like, these notorious patties, right? When I first got here, I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I've had bad veggie patties that are better than these, right? Huh. Uh, you know, it's the type when they, like, overdo, like, trying to mimic the flavor of, like, beef barbecue or something like that. It's, like, this taste, you know, it just tastes so nasty. Right. Basically, every meal I cook involves one of two different types of meats, right? They got this uh, mechanically separated poultry. You ever heard of that? What, like chicken, stuffed chicken nuggets is made of? Um, the kind of basically uh, what it is is um, prime cuts of chicken when they cut it for chicken breast that they sell to like the public, like fancy, you know. Right. Yeah. There's still like parts of chicken that are still left in the bone. Yeah. Uh, and little scraps like in the nose and the ears and the feet and stuff like that, right? So what they right. what they do is they uh, they mechanically separate it, right? And then put it all back together again. And, uh, yeah, they oh, do like use it for chicken nuggets and stuff in the world. But yeah. uh, basically that's what they uh, serve us. Let me tell you, these things come in, like, these big blocks are like pink blocks, right? And you cook them, and, man, man it, it shit just looks like, like fucking zombie flesh. It's like a zombie melting. Yeah. No, nah, dude, yeah. it turns to- so great. So, like, dude, this is food, right? And then uh, after a while we figured out what it actually is used for, because I don't think they really, like, serve the public this type of stuff too often. I figured it out though. I figured it out this stuff is like basically cat food. It's basically cat food. Whoa. Like, uh, yeah, when we take it out the freezer, it's still gray. It's still kind of gray and pink. Like, mm-hmm. and it smells exactly like cat food. Right. Whoa. So all our meals involve either that or uh, they got this beef soy patty mix, which is basically beef and soy put together. And that's like a little bit better than I like soy. I don't think there's anything wrong with soy. But. Yeah. But anyways, uh, so basically every one of my meals is a combination of that. Let's talk about the quality of the food, right? So we have these vegetables, right? Like uh, yeah. they come they come in these bags, like these bags of pre-diced celery or pre-diced onions and stuff like that. And the stuff is so fucking nasty. I mean, like celery, right? The celery's brown. Like yeah. one time I showed I showed it to the staff and they were like, "Look at this. Is it? Oh, that's just freezer burn, right? That's just melted and refrozen." It's like, "Uh huh." So serve it. Like, oh yeah, go ahead and serve it. Right? Anyways, uh, I thought it was maybe just that one time, but every single time they order the celery, it's always like that. Like this brown. It's not even like celery chunks, like you can still see the shape of like the celery, the, you know. But it's just yeah. like, like kind of like the ground up like like threads, like shards of like fiber type of celery. Like, dude, this isn't even food. Oh, my God. But on the other hand, right, you know, in the freezer and the cooler, they got uh, they got all the food that we use, right? It's all bagged, pre-diced, whatever, right? But on the other yeah. hand, they have all the staff food, right? And they have all the, all fresh broccoli, fresh like whole peppers, whole onions, whole pieces of celery, you know, all this, all real food basically, right? Which none of we don't get, we don't, we'll never get to eat, right? But it's still right there though, I see it every day, right? Yeah. So, and then of course, it's the quantity of food. You know, it's it's never enough, is it, right? But uh, no. they, they always uh, short us on ingredients. 
right? Like, for example, like I would, I would be cooking spaghetti, and the recipe card, it calls for, like, 40 pounds of spaghetti, or it calls for, like, something like like 16 pounds of tomato paste, right? But they'd always show me all the time. Right? So they'd give me, like, maybe 25 pounds of spaghetti, right? I'm like, dude, I can't, I can't work with this. Can't work with this. We're going to be short, every, like we are, every single time, right? They're like, we'll just do it a little cook more if we have to, right? Or we'll just water it down and the noodles will absorb it, right? Something like that, right? Or they'll or they'll cut it with, like, flour or cornstarch to, like, thicken it, right? Yeah. So I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm like, complicit in this. I'm like, damn, I can't even believe I'm doing this, right? But anyways, uh, you know, I always look out. You know, they, they they give us so little spices. That's the main complaint is that the food is just not spiced. But I have a whole spice rack, so I always try to fucking load it up oh, every yeah. chance I get, right? Basically, triple up. up at least, right? And uh, as far as the spices goes, uh, one of the spices is uh, pepper, right? But they actually don't use real pepper. They use what they call imitation pepper. And it says on the recipe cards and in the boxes, and it's, it's and, you know, I've, I've tasted it. It's not pepper. I don't even know what it's really made of. Who knows? Fucking imitation pepper. Watered-down pepper. Yeah, it's not it's not even pepper at all. It's like, I don't know what the fuck is. It, it, it kind of, it doesn't really look at that like pepper if you look at it real close. But. Pretty gross. So anyways, I, you know, I, I do what I can despite the limitations, right? You know, there's just so much going on over there. We're supposed to get, like, a staff meal every day, right? That's the incentive they tell you to sign up for the kitchen. You get a staff tray right. every lunch, right? Right, but we basically don't at all. Like, they get, like, a whole salad bar that's got, like, banana peppers and sliced peppers and all kinds of stuff like that, right? But, yeah, we don't get any of that. Apparently they Wait, get... are you preparing the, the food for the guards, too? Oh, no, I would never. I would never uh, do that. No. No, I, I, uh, I cook the evening meals for general population, right? They yeah. do have someone cook food for the guards, but they always, you know, they rely on, I don't even think they'd even bother asking me, but they rely on, you know, basically the food liquor to do it. There's, there's, yeah. you know, there's, there, there's always at least, there's always a couple, right? Yeah, that's for sure. That's favorable, being favorable to the guards. Right. So anyways, I'm just like overworked and just like, I'm just kind of sickened by this whole process. I was eating good though, you know, it was nice because I could eat as much like broccoli as I want or stuff like that, right? And uh, I was actually uh, taking pleasure in the fact that I could cook the vegetarian alternative. So I'd always hook up the vegetarian alternative. I'd make, like, badass fried rice. I would just yeah. really spend a lot of time cooking it, right? Instead of just, like, basically put it all in one pot and stir it up, which is, you know, how they tell me to do the other stuff. Right. But anyways, uh, you know, and me being who I am, you know I mean? I, I feel like if I'm working for them, right, for a dollar a day, right, literally a dollar a day, right? Yeah. And they're showing us, I feel like, I feel like I got to, um, how do I put this? I'm, I'm going to get them more than they get me. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm, I'm going to try to get more out of them than they, uh, than they try to get out of me. So, you know, I've been robbing them blind the whole time I've been there. The whole time I've been there. <laughs> peanut butter, peanut butter, fucking uh, real onions. I've just been bringing a whole fucking onions back, you know what I mean? Slicing up and making food with leftovers. So, I, I haven't really had to spend many money on commissary the whole time I've been working in the kitchen except for the coffee. So, I mean, all things, you know, I'm pretty slick. I, you know, got away with it for about four or five months, right? But... They uh lately have been doing a whole lot of shakedowns, right? They've been shaking us down damn near every week. Right? Looking for pens or something, remember what I told you about last week. Yeah, we were talking Anyways, about uh sort of against one week they, they come in and they just tear the cell apart. They take all the books I had, they just took them. Right? Uh Shit. and it's the prison's books anyways, but you know, now I gotta go back and try to find them, you know, whatever. And you're still allowed to have five. But more importantly they took all the newspapers I had myself. Right? And you know, these these newspapers, you know, people you know, from the world they, you know, nice enough to subscribe you to, they pay a lot of money for that stuff. Right, I mean, the yeah. New York Times Sunday edition is just like $6 paper, right? So they probably took like maybe like eight newspapers and stuff. You're allowed to have a couple. Right, and so I'm like, dude, what the fuck, right? So I went to them, and they, they're like mumbling, oh, you know, I think you're only allowed to have papers if it's from the same day. Like, he's like, dude, don't even like, 
you know, when they're mailed to me, you know, sometimes I get them really late, especially the Chicago Tribune, I get it really late, like a couple weeks usually, right? So, I mean, so basically, if that's the policy, that's, uh, it's basically a ban on newspapers, right? But yeah. apparently that's, it's not a rule book about the whole same day thing. It does say that you're only allowed two papers, actually, which is kind of bogus. They didn't do a confiscation form. They didn't uh, put it in my property. They got like a little property that's not, you know, we don't have access to it, but it's like, you know, if you get locked up, you know, it's a kind of jail. They they have a property, like, you put all your clothes in and stuff, and if you ever hear and you have something that you're not allowed to have, like, you get, like, a birthday card mailed to you, you're not allowed to have cards here, they put it in your property, right, so that way when they're released, you'll be able to take it with you. Of course, whatever's in my property, I'm not going to be able to take it with me when I go back to the feds, but anyway. Oh, yeah, because the systems are different, huh? Yeah, yeah I got to go back to the feds, but they don't let you transfer property from this county to the feds, even though there's a lot of people in fake cases here who got, like, radios, you know, like, thermal shirts or commissary, they're not allowed to take it with them for some reason. Right, but they're the ones who even put you in that system, so it's like, yeah, right. You don't, yeah, it's like you just don't get to keep anything you're gonna get here while you've been yeah. there for four months. Right, and not only could I take, I couldn't take any of the property with me from the feds here either, for that matter. You know, I already had like a whole bid's worth of stuff. You know, radios, yeah. sweats, you know, whatever. Right, not to mention my yeah. legal work, which is still MIA. But anyway, so they took all my newspapers. I go to the cabin. I'm like, dude, what's up, man? They took all my shit. Like, well, you know. uh, yeah, we should just write all investigate right down. You should be able to get compensated for them. You know, they're not supposed to, you know, they're supposed to do a form. I'm like, cool, right? Anyways, a couple of days later, they do another shakedown, right? And they take every one of my newspapers again, right? Because every single one of them is like, dude, did you not get the memo, right? And they also took like a, an origami, uh, either art I did, uh, origami dodecahedron. It's like a, kind of like a sphere, like a 12-sided uh, origami model. It's really super cool. Yeah, it's a pretty episode. popular one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. Really, it's really easy to do. You you take 30 sheets of paper and you fold it a certain way. It's a really easy fold, and you put them all together, makes it nice. So I just kind of had that in my cell, just you know, just chilling, just kind of like, you know, I, yeah. I look at it and think about it all the time. Anyways, I took that right. No, Easily man. stole it. Let's just call it what it is. They stole it from me, right? Yeah. They stole it, right? But they also found one funky onion. One funky onion. I thought I hit it well. <laughs> I got away with it basically every single other shakedown. Anyways, they found one funky onion, right? So uh, a lot of times here in the kitchen, right, people get called and stuff all the time. They kind of look the other way a lot of times, right? But uh, yeah. well, what they do is if you form a card, they kind of, what they call it, put, it on, put you on contract, right? You know, safety, a formal warning, right? Yeah, they didn't do anything like that. They just said, do not pass, go go directly to jail, right? So they, they took me right away, like the general population unit, I don't know, 3CS. It's, you know, a general population unit, right? Like I was at when I first got here. But uh, they kept me on... Uh, a uh, 23-hour lock. I was on lockdown status for five days. I'm like, eh, whatever. It is what it is. Get caught. You know. So I was on lock. And so I could still go out for one hour a day and hang out with everybody, you know, take a shower, make a phone call, right? You know, I still had all my property there. I still had my coffee and my radio, you know. So that's really all you need for the 23 hours, right? But, yeah. Uh, coffee, shower, 23 hours of nothing. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Maybe a phone call or something. As long as I got my books. And, you know, I wouldn't have to take an onion. Uh, at the kitchen, if uh, the commissary didn't sell onions, you know, or any vegetables or any healthy foods at all, you know, all they sell are uh, chips, cookies, candies, you know, no fresh fruits or vegetables whatsoever, right? So, you know, if a cook can't have one onion, you know, I want to work for them anyway. So anyways, my time was about up my five days, right? I was thinking I'd just be let out. But no, they actually uh, take me to uh, the hole, right? There's a whole unit here that's... Uh, the lockdown unit, right? Administrative segregation or ADSEG, right? You know, I was like, dude, what the fuck? I finished my five days. Like, why am I not in general population, right? So I haven't gotten an answer for that yet. 
they just basically, I'm here, right? But now I'm on 22 hours lifetime. I'm out for two hours a day. So, okay, how do they tell you you are in 22 hours? There's like a chart on the wall that says if you're on this cell, you get this hour. You know, the hours change every day. I'm actually released for two hours a day with one other prisoner who's in a different cell who also gets released during those two hours. There's 12 people in this unit, so we, we each get two hours. But, uh, I see. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been to solitary. I've been to the whole, you know, a dozen times or something. Right? And honestly, mm-hmm. like, this is this is not as bad as a lot of holes I've been to. You know, I still got my radio, my coffee. Some, uh, I still got my mail and stuff, but I'm more mad about them taking these. So I follow a bunch of grievances, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like I said earlier, like, about me working in the kitchen, I was kind of sick of working all the time. Like, it's kind of like a vacation for me. I get to sleep, <laughs> to sleep, to read. You know, I got a good three-part series of Neil Stevenson books. No, so. Is that the author of Cryptonomicon? Yeah, Cryptonomicon, uh, Snow Crash, uh, Epic. I read every one of his books. I couldn't even believe they had the series in the library. I couldn't even wow. believe it. So, I mean, like, you know, the, the usual janky-ass books in the library, right? I couldn't believe I found the series. So I'm chilling. I'm chilling. I'm, you know, if they ask me to go back to the kitchen if they want to, uh, they're like, no, thanks, no, thanks. But, yeah, more to me is like, dude, these people got caught with 40 pieces of chicken, bags of coffee, you know. And I really fuck with the coffee over here because it's really not that great. It's like steak coffees, I, you know. But anyways, all these people never even got locked down. Here I am, dude. It's like, really? Ad sick for one funky onion? One funky onion. So that's what's going on with me. I'm not tripping, though. You don't have any idea when you're going to be out of that situation? No, I guess it's kind of like my case, right? Oh, yeah. This will tell you when. time, you know? Yeah. What legal basis do they even have to keep you in solitary confinement? I mean, isn't that uh, just like standard practice for any time there's any sort of Discipline actually hearing the first thing they yeah. do is immediately throw you in the hole and don't tell you shit. Oh, definitely, dude. Yeah, like, it's like you said, for any security-related reason, they get us hold you in segregation until they determine whatever, whatever. I mean, the BOP's got its own rules for it, which I'm more familiar with than how they do it here. Here, I just seem to just do whatever. Like, they don't give me a reason. So, like I said, solitary, like, I'm not a bit, so. Right. going to have to give a content warning of police violence for this next one. Just last week, two Chicago cops shot an unarmed man, Ariel Roman, on the CTA at the Grand Red Line stop. We're listening to some of the chants at one of the youth-led rallies on the CTA in response to the shooting. He survived but was hospitalized with serious injuries. A person at the scene uploaded a video to Twitter 
which shows Ariel being tackled, tased, and maced. But the pigs are unable to cuff him, and he gets away and reaches an escalator where he was first shot in the back. Ariel then climbs the escalator where he is followed by the pigs and then shot again, and subsequently arrested and charged for resisting arrest in some unknown narcotics charge, both of which are later dropped. Oh, yeah, well, they always have to justify, after the fact, the fact that they basically attempted to murder him. Yeah. If you're wondering what uh, Ariel did to attract the violence of the cops, he was observed passing through the doors between train cars, which apparently is a city violation. But it's the kind of minor violation that every single person commits on a daily basis in some form or other, from jaywalking to littering. The city claimed that increased police presence on public transportation was to increase safety and handle fair vision. But it turns out if you hop a turnstile and ride for free, theoretically costing the CTA a loss of 225 in revenue, you could be killed by trigger-happy pigs. Many of the bullets missed and ricocheted off the walls of the subway station where nearby commuters were waiting for their trains during the busiest time of the entire week, Friday late afternoon rush hour. This actually happened literally hours after the city announced an increase to, of the number of transit cops by 50, now newly armed with a GPS and advanced surveillance system of an average 220 cameras in every single station. Just last week, SWAT officers were patrolling the trains and multiple times in 2019, ICE agents were posted up on train stations despite Chicago's status as a sanctuary city for undocumented immigrants. This new liberal-ass pro-cop Mayor Lightfoot, after backtracking on her campaign promise to end the $95 million cop economy, hired Charlie Beck, the racist stop-and-frisker police chief from L.A., as an interim police superintendent to replace the disgraced Eddie Johnson, who, by the way, will still continue to collect pension until he dies, despite his three years of corruption and utter failure in handling police accountability. This whole thing basically shows bankruptcy of police reformism. The consent decree of 2019 was issued by the state to overhaul the Chicago PD with no trust within the community after the Kwan McDonald cover-up. After all the training and mandates on cops to use de-escalation techniques whenever possible over the use of deadly force, Ariel was still shot and could have lost his life. Even though the mayor said the shooting was, quote, extremely disturbing, and although there is an ongoing investigation that now includes the FBI actually working with Cook County, the Fraternal Order of Police are backing the two pigs who shot Ariel. The union president complained of the incident that there were all these people watching did nothing to help the cops with the arrest. This does not show signs of a reformed police department. People are tired of this pro-cop Mayor Lightfoot, who, by the way, just endorsed Biden for the DNC. People are demanding instead of investing millions and in hiring more cops to harass people, we should be putting money into the communities who have been ravaged by systemic disinvestment and over-policing. Put it towards education and health, and make transit accessible and pig-free. Yeah, that, that is really terrible news. Unfortunately, it's not surprising, considering the Chicago police's history of, of brutality and murder, you know, for pigs. But yeah, that, that just shows like what we were talking about in the last episode, the failures of Dr. Frisk and broken windows. Police philosophy has been debunked and shown that really it, it creates these altercations and incidents with police to where they go around what they say, policing quality of life, like cleaning up the streets, uh, harassing people with, you know, basically petty crimes. And then that leads to incidents with police to where they end up shooting this man. It's unbelievable. And they would have uh, gotten away with it if a person wasn't there on hand to record the incident. You know, the police would have later changed their stories or backed each other up to support their narrative for justifying their attack. 
Exactly. I mean, you know, cops always blame that person is always resisting arrest. But as it turns out, the cops just had an extremely difficulty putting the cuffs on the person and the individual got away and was just walking up the escalator stairs, like literally with the back turned, posing no threat to anybody. And one of the officers just said to the other one to shoot him. And they did. They, they did. And there was that person that had posed no threat to anyone. There was no issue of self-defense or personal safety or anything like that at all. Right. Some... He didn't have a weapon. Uh, there's no reasonable belief to, that the police could have believed that his life was in danger. This reminds me of the uh, Laquan McDonald uh, murder a couple of years ago on which you know, the police, they, they shot the man as he was trying to run away. He was trying to get away from the guy. And they, they shot him 16 times, even when he was already on the ground. But anyways, they, you know, they went to the Burger King to get the tape, to delete the tape. They badgered a witness to try to get her to change her story to support the police. And basically, you know, covered up the crimes. And really, only they only held the cop who killed the Kwame McDonald accountable after people were so mad and, and rioting and so forth. And and even then, even when they found him guilty of murder, they only gave him, what, like six and a half years? Yeah. Six and a half years in prison. I mean, I don't think anybody who've ever got convicted of murder and got any time like that. Pardon, like a few, a handful of people for you know 
Pfeiffer is serving for drug crimes, right? And and those are like so transparently like tokenizing cases to to try to like score some cheap points and to make it seem like he's like he's he's not proclaiming himself as to be like some type of criminal justice reform advocate, right? Right. But here he is, racist cop, corrupt governor is like basically sending a message basically sending a message to his own cabinet and uh his uh, you know, loyalists in the Republican Party that basically I got your back. You know, like like he intervened most recently in associate Roger Stone. Right. He issued a tweet how the um sentencing memorandum for Roger Stone's corruption can bring out to eight years and immediately Justice Department tries to rework the law of how to figure out who could uh, convict him for less time. The prosecutors in the case like mysteriously resign and recuse themselves from the case after Trump basically gives the orders that yeah he, they're recommending way too much time. If it was ever about checks and balances, and Trump slightly overstepping, dictating to the Justice Department that he wants to protect his buddy. Right. I mean, I think he even like ridiculously uh, proclaimed himself to be like the nation's chief law enforcement officer. <laughs> Really? Like some criminal justice reform advocate. Speaking of pardons, this week we heard a lot of rumors about Trump actually offering a pardon to Julian Assange through a former U.S. representative, Rohrbacher. Hmm. That Rohrbacher offered Assange that he, if he would provide evidence that the 2016 DNC email links were not sourced from a Russian hacker, Trump would offer Julian Assange pardon. Now, Rohrbacher went back on an earlier claim and tried to clarify that he didn't say he was actually speaking on behalf of Trump himself, rather than if Assange were to give him evidence that the source was not from Russia, he would then make a plea to Trump to offer a pardon. Although Rohrbacher had, in fact, visited both Trump and Assange within a short period of time, the White House flatly denied that Trump ever made such an offer. However, it would be entirely on brand with Trump's usage of his political power to protect and pardon his allies. It would serve Trump to prevent any information coming out of Assange that would indicate that the orange one had any influence on the release of the DNC leaks and boosted his 2016 campaign. Yeah, I mean, it really is up Trump's alley. Uh, this whole uh, quid pro quo, uh, like, backroom dealing is just kind of a sleazeball thing, you know, to do to to dangle a pardon over Assange. Like, if he would uh, release information that would uh, basically clear Trump of, you know, his collusion with Russia on the, to help him win the election. And furthermore, it uh, it really also just confirms the fact that the whole prosecution and extradition of Assange is not a matter of a legitimate criminal investigation, but a purely political maneuver, which was what his extradition hearing in London week was all about. You're listening to the sounds of activists blowing whistles outside of Alexandria Detention Center in support of yourself, Jeremy, and Chelsea locked up in a jail, and Julian Assange in the UK. This was part of a week of action support of Assange's first week of extradition hearing. We got to know, did you see them? Yeah, definitely. That was super cool. Um, no, I was actually on the 23-hour lockdown that I was telling you about when it had happened. And as it happened, though, uh, my lawyers were actually calling me at the exact same moment, so they actually, uh, the cops let me out of the cell to use the uh, lawyer phone. And while I was talking, like, a couple of the prisoners came out, they're like, dude, dude, they're outside with the protesters, they got, they got your name. And I was like, what, right now? So I was like, so I was, you know, out, out in population for a minute, and I got a chance to go look outside the window, and they had, you know, of course, a crowd of people getting all excited inside the, inside the unit, looking outside the window, and there it is, right in front of the gate. A bunch of people uh, with banners, flags. I was like, dude, 
fucking cool. Later on, I went to a program they do every week about Path or Peace, and they um, met a couple other people from different units, and they all saw the demonstration as well. And, uh, you know, little things like this gives people, like, a lot of excitement, right? I mean, it's cool that people know that there are, there are people out there who, who you know, think about them. You know, you all just did the demonstration at New Year's, of course, a month right. or two ago. Noise demos. Let's make more of them. Blow the whistle, right? Blow the whistle. You know, the United States authorities are, of course, calling their extradition request and prosecution of Julian Assange a purely criminal matter instead of what it obviously is, is a political persecution. And it's, it's confirmed, Bill. You know, you have people like Mike Pompeo talking about Assange, you know, when people are talking about his rights as a journalist. But he's like, Assange is not a United States citizen. You know, he doesn't have free speech rights. He's like, uh, and, that, and that kind of reminded me, like, we were talking about uh, the person at the Mexican border who was shot by the Border Patrol, how, how they were saying that he didn't have constitutional standing to sue either, for that matter. And so basically, like, they're going to deny Assange his rights. And basically the whole thing is about criminalizing journalism. You know, you hear Trump talk about the press being enemy to people. And I think at one point he had mentioned something about how he believes that whistleblowers are traitors that deserve the death penalty, right? So how could someone in this political context truly believe that this is anything but a really political process? Exactly. Basically, the end of the first week of Julian Assange's extradition hearings ended with the defense team laying out arguments to how the motivations for the U.S. to extradite are political in nature and thus an abusive process, which we talked extensively in Episode 2 of our podcast. This court case will reconvene again in March 18th, and we'll, uh, we'll have updates as they come. Specter of the Democratic National Convention dominates the media alongside news of the spread of the coronavirus. But I read an interesting story about the country of Iran, who recently released 70,000 prisoners to prevent the spread of the virus in the jail system. They were released on a furlough and actually having to pay a bond, which illustrates the classist and racist nature of the entire money bond system. Like, if you cannot afford to pay, you are potentially stuck in a situation where you are more vulnerable to the spread of the virus. This raises an important question about the U.S. government's plan for the safety of inmates in the prison system who face increased risks of infection due to living in unsanitary conditions and extremely close proximity to each other. Jeremy, what is your impression of the jail's response to an emergency such as the coronavirus? Uh, well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, of course, they don't tell us anything. We don't know if there's a plan, what the, what the plan would be. Um, yeah, like you said, you know, people in jails and prisons definitely are increased risk. You know, because like you said, like we're close proximity. We don't have uh, as ready access to medical facilities. It is basically a joke, basically the bare minimum. Basically, the spread of colds and diseases is really rapid. Uh, you know, when one person in a unit gets a cold, you better believe the next day or two, everybody's going to get a cold, right? Um, yeah. And for us, there's no real escape from that. We can't, if we are sick, we're still going to have to go to the chow hall. 
we're still going to have to, you know, interact with people, uh, which really puts everybody at risk. You know, I, I think I definitely think they should release everybody. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I mean, I, w- I wonder what you know the United States plan, like you said, is. Think they should also, you know, if it's pandemic proportions we're talking about here, like uh, it would, it's really frightening to think that if it does start spreading in jails, that you know, we wouldn't really have an escape route, metaphorically speaking. Right. Reminding me of the time you you spent when you were locked up in MCC New York during Hurricane Sandy. You wrote a statement about the incident, talking about how the whole jail was on lockdown. You didn't hear from any guards or anybody for days at a time. Yeah. Um, did you imagine that as sort of being what a resort that the jails would leave themselves to, just basically keep everyone in the cells and, you know, yeah, um, basically, uh, let us send to ourselves. Yeah, during Hurricane Sandy, they, you know, we didn't have any water or electricity for days. We had cold meals for like a week. They, you know, they brought us meals the next day and a little bottle of water and stuff. You know, in other jails and prisons like in uh, Texas and Louisiana, during uh, the hurricanes, they definitely were situations where people locked themselves with like water flooding up and not able to drink any kind of sanitary water and all. So, you know, there, there's definitely a lack of emergency planning going on in the nation's prisons. Like you said, we're not really sure what their plan is about this virus. And as far as what they're doing here in a Alexandria Detention Center, uh, one thing that they've already happened because of the coronavirus is that they've actually uh, canceled all programming. That means all religious programs, uh, you know, uh, they have a health class. Uh, basically, uh, you know, it's one of the few ways that prisoners uh, in different units here are able to uh, see each other, right? So, um, you know, from other floors. And uh, not to mention, you know, that prisoners have a right uh, to religious freedom and all that. So, they, you know, they have, like, Catholic mass and stuff like that. And so they, under the, the the specter of the coronavirus, they canceled all of those. Um, <clears throat> and then also uh, the other day, uh, you know, and this this might have just been the one deputy who was, like, a, kind of a new Jack Green, you know, he... Uh, you know, he's going through the mail, and, you know, each each one, he's handing him a mail, and he's opening it up, and someone had printed out a series of memes, you know, memes, right, pictures of him. Yeah, he was like, oh, yeah, I don't know, uh, I don't know if we could, you know, because of the coronavirus, you know, we got some new, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, the coronavirus, right? He's like, he's like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, I don't think we'd give you the internet printouts, man, there's some new rules. He's like, listen, man, you don't get coronavirus from memes. He's like, listen, you don't get memes from, you know, that much. Wait, they made the memes illegal? It was just this one deputy, but yeah, he basically said that. News from Italy is coming through about widespread prisoner uprising, where inmates are starting fires and escaping their captors, protesting the overcrowding and decrepit conditions of the prison, where a number of coronavirus deaths have occurred. With the national conversation about health care and a major lack of coverage, and the fact that coronavirus is particularly vulnerable to people with low immune systems, it's starting to look like that coronavirus is the symptom and capitalism is the disease. But seriously, friends and comrades, take care of your health. See a doctor to the best of your abilities. Be good to those around you. Take care of each other. We need you in good spirits as well.
Okay, this last section of the podcast, we're going to be talking about the movement in your grand jury case, about the Grumbles motion y'all filed. You have a hearing coming up this Friday the 13th. In fact, both you and Chelsea will have a ruling on the Grumbles. You know, you know, today they actually um, they actually brought me in front of the grand jury again. Can you believe it? What? Again? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, they did it five months ago, right? And uh, it was her refused, and, and it was found in contempt, right? And so... Uh, in anticipation of this uh, hearing that we have, uh, I believe they pulled, uh, they, they uh, tried it one more time. I mean, I think it's, it's a sign of desperation, what my intuition is. But uh, anyways, yeah, they actually pulled the, pulled me in front of the grand jury again. They pulled me, uh, as the story goes, FBI came once again, just like last time, instead of like the normal prison transport. You know, they drove me to the federal building. And, uh, you know, my lawyers all know about this and stuff, so they were, they uh, met me there. But before they got there, right, so I'm in that little room with the magazines, right, same room. They had different magazines, though, right? And oh, so, yeah, different uh, magazines. Yeah, no, they had, they, had, they had People and, you know, there's some bullshit magazines. Uh, and he looked at them. He looked at them. But he didn't take any this time. Remember last time they took the Washington Examiner? So, you know, so I'm sitting in a nice rolling chair, uh, flipping through magazines, and, uh, you know, the FBI's in the room. But, you know, of course, he can't talk. We're waiting for my lawyer, right? So, uh, you know, the prosecutor comes in. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, I'll wait till your lawyer. I'm like, oh, whatever. So, uh. And you know, man, listen, I don't even want to look at this guy in the eyes. You know what I mean? Like normally, like when I want to communicate, I like looking at somebody in the eyes. Um, yeah. But man, I I could I, I was just so uncomfortable. You know, I mean, in a room full of FBI. And you know, they're they're just sitting there, just we're actually waiting for like a couple minutes. So you know, the prosecutor comes back. He's like, oh, you know, is your lawyer? You know, is it just gonna be the one lawyer? Is your other lawyer is gonna be? He's like, listen, hey, this is entirely too many questions. <laughs> I already said I'm gonna answer any questions. <laughs> right. And so you know. A few minutes past, I'm flipping through magazines. I'm reading an uh, article about Kate McKinnon, right, and uh, who's a, you know, one of her comedians. So I'm reading that, and that guy just sitting there nervously, and, and one of them just kind of just casually, uh, you know, starts making conversation. You know, like, oh, so uh, where are you from? I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> That's I just, like, just try to wait you out. Right. I mean, I guess it's just he's just being like, like Curtis, you know what I mean? And he, uh, and I tell him I'm from Chicago. And then uh, he's, he says about the R. He's like, man, you know, I was looking at your tattoo. Don't be don't mind, but uh. That's actually pretty nice. Uh, he's like the V for Vendetta one. You have is like, so you got that one in prison. I was like, I thought about it. I was like, all right, fine, I'll answer this one. I was like, tell him yes. I did right. Anyways, my lawyer come right, kick all the agents out the room and all that. Man, you wouldn't believe it, man. The most amazing food ever. Coffee. You worry about your food? Yeah, I brought the food. I couldn't even believe it, man. Like fucking a vegetarian sandwich, fucking mm. coffee, uh, juice. Like real, real orange juice, a chocolate oh. bar. I couldn't even believe it, man. I couldn't even believe it. It was, it was the best sandwich I had in forever, dude. Like, <laughs> My God, what kind of sandwich? Yeah, it was like real flavorful. It was like, oh, it was like some type of like Mediterranean vegetable sandwich. Nice. It had like some cheese in it. It was a name brand sandwich joint. It was badass. So badass. So, uh, anyways, you know, some of my lawyers there. The prosecutor comes in, right? And the guy is like, so uh, before we go in there, we know, you know, you don't have to say anything right now, but you just, you know, listen. And so he's basically making another pitch, right? Basically, just trying to see where I'm at, you know, he's like, you know, and he's got like these big ass binders, right? Like huge ass three ring binders. One onto the Sabu chat logs. <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. Sabu right, so chat logs? They're all Sabu like a cartoon. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe it was like, like I said, like they've seen out the Matrix where Agent Smith sits down with a fucking binder and starts flipping through it, right? But, yeah, uh, I was going to ask if you were just going to give them the Neo. Yeah, right. Yeah, at first I was thinking, hey, with the Matrix, right? You know, Oh, that sounds like a really good deal, but I got a better one. I want to give you the finger. Can you give me my phone call, right? 
But uh, I, I already made up my mind that I'm going to hit him with the Bartleby instead. You know, Bartleby, the scrivener, he was uh, known for uh, his refusal uh, in civil disobedience. But uh, he, would just, he would just say, I would prefer not to. I prefer not to. I prefer not to. Right? That was his thing. <laughs> so, so that was going to be my line when I go to the grand jury, right? But before we get there, so the prosecutor, he just sits down. And, uh, and like I said, I, I trouble looking him in the eye, right? Because it's just, it's just so weird, so awkward. So, so, but the one thing I noticed is he's got the same he, – he always wears these ties, right? These ties that yeah. uh, have little little dogs on them, little dogs on them. And this is like the third time I've seen a different a different dog tie he's got. Like the first time in court he wore a tie as a dog. Only the lawyers even oh, pointed no. And then he said – he just says simply, what could the United States government do that could change your mind and get you to obey the law here? And that's it, right? That's all he says, right? Shit, I'm sitting there eating a fucking sandwich, right? Just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the whole room, whole room of people, I'm sitting there eating a sandwich, so I was all fucking about everybody. Like, so then, uh, <laughs> that's incredible. So, uh, he's like, because, you know, you know, he basically says, you know, I know you, you think you're doing the honorable thing here, you're very smart, but, you know, Julian Assange, you know, he's, he's not worth it for you, man. He's not worth your sacrifice, you know, this Russian spy, you know? And so, I tell him, he's like, yep, there's no, absolutely nothing. That's gonna give me a chamber of mind. This I'm not answering any questions, right? <clears throat> so basically, we're just like, okay, we can go in there and get it over with. I, I only finished one part of the sandwich. I still have a, 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 some sandwich to go, right? So, so I walk in there, sit down. It's the same group of people, the same grand jury. I recognize a couple of their faces, right? Yeah. So he, so he sits down. I I affirm. He's like, so you was here back in September. You refused to answer questions. You've been held in civil contempt for the past five months. Uh, I'm gonna ask you these questions again. Right. And so he's like, did Julian Assange ever ask you to hack any website? I was like, yeah, I prefer not to answer. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, what, this, is, this is what he does. He's like, what? Really? You're going to Bartleby the Scrivener on me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he actually recognized it. I was like, I was like wow, are you that's the, uh, Bartleby, right? Yeah, he's like, and he actually kind of laughed like that. I thought it was kind of funny. Like, He's like, you're the reference, right? Man, you know you're in the Matrix when the jury fucking gets your joke, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then he, uh, he's like, well, we can just go and rattle off the same questions, right? He read the same questions as his last time. So I basically said, nah, I prefer not to ask another one, right? I think ask, he'd ask another one, right? I'd sit there and pretend to think about it for a minute. He's like, nah, you know what? I prefer not to answer that one either. <laughs> <laughs> so then he's uh. like, so those are all the questions that we asked last time, uh, does uh, any, uh, anyone else in the grand jury have a question, right? And I don't know even why he asked that, right? So then he, like, is quiet for a second. He starts picking up his papers like we're about to leave, right? And then someone in the back just, like, mumbles, like, yeah, do you like jail? I was like, what the fuck? Like, what the yeah, hell? Like, who the fuck, who the fuck said? Like, I prefer not to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I'm not answering that one either. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course I didn't say anything, but I just looked at the guy. I was like, really? Really? Do I like jail? But, uh, so we go back to the room. You know, I'm, I'm starting to finish my sandwich, right? Because I, I know they're basically just going to kick me out and send me back to the bullpens and send me back to jail. So I'm, yeah. I still got a, a bag of chips, a fucking jar of orange juice. So I'm sitting in the lawyer just eating sandwich, right? So he sits down and he's like, all right, so you don't want to answer the questions, but, you know, maybe we can sit here and just discuss, you know, world literature, you know? And so he just kind of, like, just starts casually making some small talk, just some casual, uh, yeah, uh, Herman Melville, you know, uh, starts talking about another book he wrote that I never oh, read. Yeah. And then he's basically saying, He's kind of using, like, talking about literature to, as, like, an allegory to talk about, like, the the futility of utopia. And I was like, I'm just sitting there just listening, eating the sandwich. I'm like, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, Bartleby, you know, he, you know, the story, he ended up dying in prison. They talk about another character from a, 
um, Herman Melville, Melville book that uh, where the guy died in the gallows. And then my lawyer is just like making a conversation about like oh some science fiction books he likes and prosecutors like how he just ordered like a Isaac Asimov book of jokes. And I was like wow. Like, what the fuck? That is like <laughs> kind of like fucking low key fucking bullshit. They're fucking trying to get at you. It's like O'Brien from uh, Brave New World. Yeah, it was, it was really weird. So they're so they're talking right. So then he's like so. So why don't you? So why don't you answer this question? You know, first he says uh, he kind of implies that that all options are on the table. That you know that they could press for. He didn't say it directly, but he said that they could press for like criminal contempt. And I was like, oh, I didn't say that. Absolutely, the sandwich. Then he implies that like whatever, like you could still like look like you know you disobeyed, but we could keep it a secret. Like he's like, no, nobody has to know. I just want to know about Julian yeah, Assange. Yeah. Like, so I was like, I'm just sitting here fucking eating the sandwich, right? And then um. And then he's talking about, I don't know why you're defending this guy. He's a Russian spy. He fucking helped Trump win the election, right? And, uh, and then, uh, then I asked him, I was like, huh? And uh, let me ask you, right? Let me ask you a question. Like, why hasn't he been charged with any of the, the Russian uh, leaks, the DNC leaks, right? He's like, hey, man, you know, you asking all the questions. Now you want to ask me a question. Now, you know, it's like, and I asked him, I was like, yeah, huh? And when are they going to extradite him? Like, right? I was just throwing it out there, right? Because I'm sitting there choking a sandwich now. And he's like, well, as you know, uh, Mr. Hammond, you know, it could take a while. There was a uh, that guy, that old hacker from a long time ago, the, the, looking for alien information. And uh, he's talking about like, Gary Gary McKinnon, right? And I was like, oh, Gary McKinnon. He's like, oh yeah, that's him. yeah. And then there was the other person, uh, uh, Lori Love, who I'm sure you're familiar with, right? I was like, huh? He's like, yeah, they, uh, you know, they were fighting their extradition and uh, one, right? And that took a long process, right? So then uh, one of the other guys in the room is just says something like, oh, yeah, you know, you could be moving on with your life, you know, you're still in jail. No, they're really, like, trying to convince me, which is really startling. Like, they're really, like, thinking, and I, and I think it was disingenuous from the beginning, like, like clearly they didn't know I was going to, like, say anything at all. But uh, now they're, like, thinking that they could, like, talk to me, right? And one of them is something like, oh, well, you know, uh, Kayla, you know, for example, uh, who apparently is my co defendant and he's like, yeah, he's a, a professor, you know, and, you know, he's moved on with his life and all that. And I was, I was like, who's Kayla? Right? And they all looked at me like like surprised because like I had forgotten, but that's like one of the nicknames of one of my co-defendants in uh, the UK. And I was like, but I haven't even thought about this stuff in so long, dude. I don't remember the nickname, right? Yeah. So yeah, so you want to talk about Julian Assange, huh? And I'm like, no, not him or anybody. He's like, huh? So, but what about uh, Sabu? Would you be willing to talk about Sabu, right? And that that, that threw me further. I was like, what? Like, where where are you going with this? Where are you going with this, right? But uh, which I thought was actually kind of surprising, right? So anyways, uh, but I, I didn't even want to, like, open that whole little chain. I was like, no, I have nothing to say. Not, it's not about who the target of the investigation is, but it's a matter of principle. I'm refusing to answer any questions from the grand jury. And, and uh, I think the reason why they asked the question is because, you know, one of the questions they had asked me about Julian Assange was they wanted to know whether he had, uh, like, ordered me to hack into any targets or gave me a list of any targets or that WikiLeaks agreed to publish any of the you know, stuff that I hacked, uh, which, of course, I was not going to answer in any circumstances, right? Um, you know? Even though, you know, what I did, I did on my own um, and, and chose to do it because it's what I wanted to do. I, I believed in, you know, these targets deserve to be hacked, and so I did it, right? But, uh, you know, what was interesting, and I wrote this in my statement, is that, you know, the informant, Sabu, he, uh, you know, he, he also likely testified in front of this grand jury, right? But um, the thing about it is he was the only one who, who was actually asking me to hack into any targets, give me a list of targets uh, to hack into and so forth. So, uh I thought that maybe that was the reason why he brought it up there, just to, or maybe he thought that maybe I was like motivated out of like pettiness or revenge or something like that, that I would be willing to testify against him for whatever reason. Like, like yeah, I'm not even. Yeah, yeah. right. 
And then, uh, and then the FBI guy, he busts out a, a notebook, pad, and pen, right? And, uh, and that was when I realized, like, man, fuck this shit, man. <laughs> like, man, this is over. This, this conversation is over. Dude, we're not sitting here and fucking, like, going down memory lane. And we're getting too comfortable here. Like, it's, it's over. It's over. It's, all right, all right, all right. And then it was over. God damn, what the fuck? Man, yeah, it was, really... it was really weird. So even after the grand jury, they wanted to, like, keep talking to me, like, like really trying to convince me. Maybe they think that the, uh, the case is over, and they're like, okay, we tried, and we know we're done with. We, we just figured out our last pitch, and now we just want to finish it up in our minds or whatever. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's uh, they realize that this this hearing on Friday could go against them, that, you know, Trenga might just be sick of this whole thing. You know, Chelsea, of course, has been down for 11 months on this, uh, this grand jury, you know, and yeah. uh, we've been pretty convincing arguments as far as why, you know, this Grumble's motion might succeed. So this Friday. At this hearing, so uh, you know it's it's public hearing. Everybody's welcome to come check it out. The whole Grumble's motion is basically that um, a judge has at their discretion the ability to decide that the person that they're holding in contempt is in fact incorrigible. That there's nothing that could change this person's mind, right? And if that's the case, that continuing to hold them in, in incarcerated takes on a more punitive uh, character. Like you're punishing the person for their not cooperating instead of you really think that this person can be coerced, right? And so basically our argument is that look at this guy's history, you know, you know, the, my whole life I've basically fought for the struggle, that, you know, I've demonstrated my willingness to get arrested and do time like it ain't nothing, you know what I mean? And so after all this, there's there's nothing that not, not a couple months could ever do, not this or any grand jury, uh, would I be willing to cooperate in any circumstance, and so therefore... Them continuing to hold me is actually punishment for uh, my refusal, which is illegal. Like they, you know, you can, they can't punish somebody or hold them uh, unless you've been convicted of a crime. But legally, the, the whole you know coercion thing, they they can hold you if they think that they can be coerced, which is you know of course not the case. So basically, we had to convince the judge that I'm incoercible. So we thought we filed a motion, and you can check it out. And uh, the hearings this Friday. The Grumbles motion on 5:13. The hearing, 3 p.m. Be there. I will be there in spirit. It's on Twitter too. Yeah, and we'll post the motion. And then uh, him talking about how I could move on with my life and so forth uh, got me thinking about that funky onion again, right? How basically they, I don't know how they would characterize this past, you know, five months, uh, you know, I've been incarcerated here at Alexandria and uh, it's basically stolen time. You know, they stole my time. Like, all right, so who's the thief in the situation? You know, who stole from who? Forget the onion. Like, there's nothing that we could do to get that time back. You know what I mean? You know, it, did, it didn't apply towards my federal sentence. So, you know, once this whole thing is over, i got to go back to the feds uh, and finish my sentence, right? But uh, I think about those six months, like, dude, what about it, you know, once I beat this case? Like, and this is what I think should happen. I think it should apply towards my next crime. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, uh, it's like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Next to my dude, he's like, oh, oh, hold up, hold up. I, I just spent six months for nothing. So, uh, release me. Uh, this is a free so just stamp your card, you know, and then be, okay, get moving. That's it for this one. Cool. You've been listening to Zar Bomba, Punk from Chicago. Check the music out. Their links are in the description. Until next time. Until next time. Twin, Twin trouble. Trouble. Out of
we are twin, twin trouble. I'll wait for you because uh, it'll delay or whatever. Anyway, try it again. I am Jason. I'm sorry. And I am Jeremy. I'll try it again. I am Jason. And I am Jeremy. And we are twin, twin trouble. trouble. Yo, what up? You know, we actually get we actually get shit for not getting that quite right. But anyway, really? <laughs> twin on, trouble. Click, click, click send. Repeat. Hey, dude, uh, right. I gotta go take a shower real quick. All right. Just so happens that with an executive order, a president can make marijuana legal in every state in this country. And I invite you to the ceremony when we do just that. Matter of fact, maybe we'll do it right here in Grand Park. Okay, and uh, before we wrap this episode up, there's a uh, we have the letter section. There's one question that I received that I'd like to address. And um, you know, I, I as I was relating to somebody the story about this onion, right? Uh, they actually asked me, uh, so how did you uh, how did you even get the onion in? You know, how did you manage to sneak the onion back to yourself? Once you patch it down, somebody's like, well, I'm glad you had, you know, of course, you know, I'm not willing to answer any questions that would reveal any tactics or methods that you know are ongoing, and we wouldn't want to give them a heads up. But uh, let me just put it like this, like uh. It just takes some pretty big balls to do it, you know what I mean? To to walk off the bridge. No, that's ridiculous. I'm not putting that in the podcast. Okay. That's hilarious. <laughs>